Hi travelers, welcome to another TGN Live event where the stethoscope meets the suitcase and every event is a journey into the heart of travel healthcare. I'm your host, Rachel Alton, the online community manager for the Gypsy Nurse, and today we're talking about one of the most talked about topics for travel healthcare workers out there, and that is taxes. Yes, taxes for travel healthcare workers are not for the faint of heart. Um, a lot of you are refusing the, to do them alone, so what better person to come on to TGN Live than tax expert Joe Smith from Travel Talks to help you understand taxes better. Um, but before we get started, let's take a moment and see how the Gypsy Nurse can help you along your journey. TGN is a one-stop shop resource for travel healthcare workers. You can plan your next assignment um, with our downloadable Travel Nurse Guide, find your next assignment with our job board, Find a place to save from our housing partner, Furnish Finder, and there's so much more you can unlock on thegypsynurse.com. From instant, insightful interviews with industry experts to in-depth in discussions on healthcare trends, our platform is a valuable resource for both seasoned professionals and those considering a career on the move. You can listen to this session and others on demand on thegypsynurse.com. Not only are we the largest online community, but we're also the largest in-person travel healthcare conference in Las Vegas, we hold it there every year, um, where you can meet up with other travelers and your recruiters and get CEs at great prices, learn about the travel healthcare world and dance the night away at our infamous after party, September 22nd through the 25th, 2024. You do not wanna miss it. Early bird tickets are on sale now for $3.99. So don't miss out on the event of the year for travelers. Go over to travcon.org to get your tickets now. Get them quick guys, because it's going to be a good time. <laughs> now get ready for an engaging discussion that will not only get you ready for tax season, but also may relieve some anxiety when it comes to tax time. Please welcome Joe Smith from Travel Tax and the Gypsy Nurses CEO, Steve Curtin. Hi guys. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a really important topic. So just in time, everyone's starting to do their taxes. Hey, Rachel. Thank you. Hi, Joseph. Welcome. Oh, good to be here. Anxiety around tax time, that that's, there's no such thing, right? Everything no. is smooth and easy, Joseph, right? Smooth yeah. and easy. <laughs> Just listen to the phone calls. Here they come. <laughs> well, All right, well, you guys um, take it over. That's great. Thanks. Thanks, Rachel. And, and Joseph, I, you know, I want to get right to it. But again, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And, uh, you know, as Rachel mentioned, you're obviously a TravCon veteran. You have been a featured speaker at TravCon for a number of years and one of our most popular speakers uh, around the subject of uh, traveler taxes. So uh, we're awfully excited to have you here and perfect timing, right? You were just mentioning before we went on that Mondays are starting to get real busy and people are starting to get their tax forms and start to get ready. So I would imagine this is a busy time for you starting now. It's uh, the storm cometh as we <laughs> Well, great. Well, we're looking forward to the information that you'll be presenting to us. I think you've got a, a walkthrough for us. We're going to be, we encourage people to ask questions in our chat. And Joseph, I'll be, I'll be uh, reviewing some of those questions for you during the presentation. Uh, but certainly at this point, let, let's get right to it. Let's talk travel taxes. Sounds good, Steve. And we're going to have a bird's eye view here. Uh, I have actually four, five, one hour, almost one hour presentations that really dive deep. So you're going to get the bird's eye view of three areas 
that are most important for a traveler, and that is, what is a tax home? How do I handle all of these states that I have to file in? And then a very common question, what in the world is a per diem? Uh, how, does it, how does it apply to me? And of course, as uh, like you said, Steve, we'll have uh, plenty of time for questions here. And uh, we'll be stopping uh, at about two or three points along the way so we can address those by topic. Uh, starting out, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background here. Um, as Steve mentioned, I was part of TravCon. I was actually one of the original founders uh, of that. Uh, was a number of us that decided one day, let's just have a conference. And we thought it would be a meet and greet and, you know, see what it's turned into after almost 15, 16 years. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic place for a traveler to go at least once in, you know, in their career. They should go every year, to be honest. But if you rewind the clock 40 years ago, this is me in the respiratory therapy program. Uh, at Greenville Technical College where I grew up and I'm next to one of my high school buddies and he and I and Alan over here after we graduated ran the intensive care unit at night uh, at one of the hospitals here but I looked a lot better back then <laughs> Joe you haven't changed a bit and and that photo right it it I can't help but remark that was uh, certainly before the days of cell phones, right? It looks like a newspaper clipping or something. That's right. right out it of is yearbook. a newspaper <laughs> clipping. This did not come off a website for sure. That's uh, right. But this is sort of the infancy of when I started my practice. Uh, after I finished respiratory, my respiratory therapy program, I went across town and got an accounting degree. So after I finished that is when I hit the road as a traveler. And I traveled for almost four years during the 1990s. Boy, am I dating myself here. And this was actually the license plate that I had when I finished out. Uh, very appropriate for a traveler. I actually had people uh, engage in conversations with me at stoplights. Uh, one guy actually told me to get a job, um, which <laughs> I had, you know, like we just didn't know. But, uh, that was, I still have that behind me up here. That's great. On my wall. But that's sort of, I, I started doing travelers, my coworkers tax returns on the side back in 1991, where a couple of my coworkers said, oh, I heard you have an accounting degree. Can you do this? Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this will be a sort of a nerdy hobby of mine. Well, later on, it turned into my full-time gig. Yeah. And along the way, um, I picked up my taxation masters and I don't like boring people with all this, but I've taught tax in college as well as I'm on the tax compliance committee for the National Trade Association for Healthcare Traveling. And I have written Supreme Court briefs, Ninth Circuit briefs, all of this other legalese stuff, mostly concentrating on the per diem policies within our industry. So, you know, one of the things I bring here is there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background that travelers often aren't aware of. So having been a traveler, I try to 
it helps us help them and be advocates as well. Yes. But this is what we're going to cover, like I said, tax home, multi-state issues, and what are per DMs. But before we even get into this, and I uh, apologize for the reformatting of this along the way, we've got to understand the concept of what a reimbursement is. Uh, if you've never heard that term, well, that's how we're going to, why we're going to explain it here. But this is a very important concept to understand when you are traveling and you are dealing with per diems, tax homes, all of this stuff. And so what is a reimbursement? Let's imagine you're back in college or <clears throat> like I was, I, I had two other college roommates in which we were sharing a place. And it's Friday night and I'm tired. I don't want to go anywhere. But my roommate's headed out to the grocery store. <clears throat> and I say, hey, Mark, can you pick me up? Uh, some drinks, some food, some other desserts or whatever, or even frozen pizza. You know, we loved off without at college or ramen noodles. And he says, sure, I'll pick that up for you. So he goes out and gets that stuff, brings it back and said, here's your stuff. Well, what do you think his next question is going to be? Pay me back reimburse me for this expense I incurred on your behalf. And this is a very central concept to what goes on in, the, in our contracts and how taxes work. Whenever your agency pays for a license or CEUs, even though they may pay it directly, they're actually reimbursing you for that cost because it's your cost they're paying for it. They're reimbursing you or cutting out the middleman by just paying it directly. And if you take that concept and now apply it to lodging and meals, this is where per diems, allowances, stipends, I don't care what they call it, lodging, meals, all of it's the same thing. <clears throat> it is a reimbursement for these expenses that you could otherwise or normally be able to deduct, but instead the agency is paying you back for it. And we're gonna dive into this concept a little bit more, but one important thing about per diem stipends allowances, unless they are treated as taxable, they're not income. People like to say on social media, well, my tax-free income, well, I, I understand what that means as a compensation, but reimbursements per diems, they're not income and they don't even show up normally on your W-2s. So why is that important? Well, if you go apply for a mortgage, you generally cannot include the per diems. They can be compensating factors similar to like what truckers experience but they do not come into play when you say, what is your income for tax purposes? Or what is your income to qualify for a loan and that sort of thing? The other thing that it doesn't apply to is social security, which is very important for travelers that are getting closer to retirement age as well too. But a reimbursement is a payment for an expense that you incur or would incur had it not been for the reimbursement. So given that fundamental concept there, 
Now we can dive into our three big topics. The first one is a tax home. And you hear this a lot when you get into our world. And your agency is required to give you some sort of statement to sign attesting to whether you have a valid tax residence tax home or not. Because they cannot pay you tax-free per diems and those reimbursements unless they have done their due diligence, which is why you have this statement in which you have to sign off on. And a tax home is a very confusing concept, and it's actually one of the more litigated areas in the tax code because it gets confused with other concepts of home. Now, if most of us that are listening in are medical related, and we have to do our ACLS, BLS recertifications. And a lot of this whole tax home concept is like an ACLS algorithm. So to understand, you almost have to put that hat on where you go through the Boolean equations during a code. If this is, uh, if this is in place, then you do CPR. If they're breathless, you do the, the breathing form, you intubate them the whole nine yards of a, of a classic code. So when you talk about a tax home, tax residence, you have to sort of use this kind of logic because a tax home and a permanent home, and we toss these terms around interchangeably sometimes, permanent residence, tax residence, they are actually two separate things, separately determined, even though there is some overlap there. But when we're talking about a permanent home, we're talking about legal residence. So where's your driver's license, your car registration, your voter registration? These are legal ties that put you in a particular community. And that is very important when you're talking about multi-state issues as well as licensing issues because our professional practice licenses, especially if we have a compact license, needs a residence tax filing in whatever state it is in. But a permanent home is a legal home. A tax home is what I like to call a money home. A tax residence in the code is defined as your main place of business, your regular place of business. So break that term down, place, your main area, commutable area, business income. You don't have to be running a business necessarily with this kind of tax lingo that's being used. Business sort of has a broader concept of where do you produce, how do you produce your income that you receive and your tax zone. So a tax residence is your main area of work your main commutable area of income. And that is where the definition starts. However, most travelers do not have a main place of work. They're going from one assignment to the next. When I traveled, I did nine different assignments. My longest assignment was six months. It changed every three to six months or I extended. I did not stay in one area, even though I did go back home and work frequently. 
But most of us, we don't stay in one area. There are travelers that do return home frequently, but that's usually about 5% of the traveling community. So if a tax residence is where I normally work, how does it get to what I normally hear about duplicated expenses? Well, the IRS way back when mobile professionals, back in the 1940s, it started to become an issue in the tax code, all the way back to 1943, when the first tax court case had to define what a tax home was. They had to recognize the fact that people don't always work where they live. And we look at 2024, that is even more commonplace. And now we've sort of reeled it back in. Well, I live at home and work, but I work for a company in Washington State, but I live in Tennessee. So these terms sort of evolved over time. But a tax home, when what, what the courts recognize and the IRS allows, is that somebody who is doing a temporary assignment isn't expected to move. They're only there temporarily. So what was recognized, okay, if you are keeping a home, you have a mortgage or you have an apartment or you have some sort of arrangement for your accommodations. If you are doing this, but going here, going there temporarily, you're not staying in a new location for a long time and not establishing a tax residence, in other words, your main place of work, then your tax residence tax home can be where you maintain your dwelling. And this is where we hear about the concept of duplicated expenses. So the idea is I have to maintain my home. I have to maintain a travel home. I'm sort of doubling up on my housing expenses, right? Not necessarily by amount, but just the fact that I have two homes. So the tax law says, okay, if this is your situation and you're doing temporary assignments, then you can be reimbursed on a tax-free basis, per diem, stipends, allowances, all of the lodging meals. You can be reimbursed for those additional expenses of above and beyond your regular home. So the ACLS algorithm hat says, well, do I have a main place of work? No, I don't. I'm all over. Then the next question, do you maintain a home, dwelling, apartment, whatever it might be? Uh, yeah. Then you are allowed to receive those tax-free stipends and your tax home becomes the place that you keep your dwelling. So that also tells you that if you don't have a regular job and you don't have a home that you maintain, then traveling, there's no base. There's no tax home based to anchor to. So if that's your situation, then all of those per diem stipends allowances are treated as additional taxable income. So most travelers are going to duplicate expenses. And when you sign off on that tax residence questionnaire with the agency, that is what they're trying to drill down to. 
Now, remember that duplicated expenses is really an exception to the rule, because the rule is where's, where do you work regularly? So if you're falling under this exception, if I say I have a home here in Greenville, South Carolina, my driver's license, car registration, and voter registration should be consistent with that. And if I am a RT, a nurse, whatever, and have a professional license, that should be consistent with the state that I'm working into as well. Now, when you talk about this tax home concept, you have to also look at some of the other limiting factors. One of them is, let's say I own a home and I rent it out. If I do like I did in college, I had a three bedroom townhouse, I rented out the other two bedrooms, I still lived in it. That's okay. Or I do, do a vacation rental in the home that I own, that's okay too. But if I completely displace myself from that home, I can't say it's my tax home because somebody else lives in there. Somebody else has the right to occupy it. I have now created a business property out of that dwelling in which I had. Another one that's almost hilarious is a storage unit is not a residence. Even though most storage units are in gated communities, uh, and you would, can go on YouTube and see people that actually live in the storage unit. It's sort of hilarious. And an RV that goes with you on your assignments, that's a great way to have a second home that you pay for. Uh, but if that's your only home, you're what the tax court calls a tax turtle. You're carrying your home, your shell, wherever you go. You don't have duplicated expenses or duplicated jobs. But the big one we run into is the whole one-year limitation. And this is sort of, the slide sort of jumbled because of a reformatting into the platform we're in. But remember, we're talking about temporary assignments. What is temporary? One that doesn't last longer than a year. And well, what about that month in between where I finished and extended? You generally have to count that month too because you're already signing your contract extensions with intent. You can't be in one area longer than a year and still be considered temporary. And your agency's gonna have a break in service policy thrown in there to tell you, well, you gotta leave before you can come back, which is almost a subject of a whole different presentation. Another thing is there's no such thing as a 50 mile rule. I'll swing back to that in just a little bit. And you can't abandon your home. You can't just go away, never come back, even though you're paying money for it. If you've abandoned it, you left it. I mean, if you come back every time and the neighborhood dogs are barking at you like crazy because they don't recognize who you are and they're not very happy dogs, well, maybe you need to spend more time at home so they get to know you better. And like I said, the 15-mile rule is sort of a myth. It is a disqualifier. The problem we run into a lot of times in our industry and similar industries that have mobile professionals, and there's lots of them out there because we also do tax returns for professional sports players. 50 miles only means that you drove 50 miles. It doesn't drill down to the central question. Did you have expenses that are reimbursable? So an agency can use it as a disqualifier, but when they start using it as a qualifier, that's a little bit of a problem because it's, it's really, when you look at it, some misguidance there. 
because you've got to have something that's reimbursable lodging expenses. I'm so glad, uh, Joe, that you're you're covering the 50 mile rule because I've been with the gypsy nurse now since, you know, in this role since 2019. And consistently, this is one of the most asked about and talked about topics in our Facebook uh, Travel Nurse Network group. We've got about 180,000 active participants in that group. And I can't tell you how often uh, that this question comes up and we always refer to them to the great content that you've you have created on this topic but it it's just the topic has never gone away it's a huge subject of discussion of I you know better than I do probably misinformation uh, it is probably one of the single most talked about topics when it comes to just travel taxes in general now, when I started my blog this is actually on the old platform the very first entry and it was the guy playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. And when my kids got, I have adopted children and they got older, we were in a Dave and Buster's and they said, Dog, what do you do for a living? I took them to this whack-a-mole machine. <laughs> Dave and this, this is what I did for a living. You want to play? <laughs> so that pretty much is a tax residence there. But yeah, you, there's a lot of misinformation. There's more depth that I can put into this. But again, we're trying to hit the bird's eye view there as well. Uh, I'm looking over at the comments, Steve. I don't see any questions on the tax residence. I'm just going to go straight into. Yeah, we just. Uh, just I'm going to address Chelsea's question here in just a second. Sure, on the on the uh, Canadian U.S. taxes, right. but I, I, if you know, it's that time of year when Deborah says, "Oh my goodness, I did my taxes yesterday." I was thinking I should have waited for this session first. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one thing I'll comment on that. Uh, one thing I I see is when travelers start working, there's a mindset change. You are now a multi-state professional. You are somebody who's paid to jump right in, pick up the place and run with it. That is a different level of professional expertise than just being in one place all the time. And you got to embrace that because a lot of people who just have one staff job don't realize how much juggling in your head you have to do to acclimate to a new location every three months. Mm -hmm. So, take pride in that, but it also affects your taxes as well, too, because you're not just somebody with one W-2. Um, Farrow just uh, yeah. said, that, does it count if you rent a home and have a valid lease in another state instead of owning? Yeah, a rent or owning, as long as it's your home, that's fine. Uh, even if you split that apartment with another person, uh, which it's one of the things when, when people, clients call us and say, well, I'm going to give up my lease. What can I do? Uh, well, we sort of jokingly say, do you have a friend that will split a two-bedroom apartment with you and just tell them you'll only be there 30 days a year, but you'll still split the rent? I mean, that's like marketing yourself, you know? Sure, I'll do that, you yeah. um, know? Okay. Multi-state tax, and uh, this is I'll also touch on the whole Canadian-U.S. side as well, too, because there's a lot of similarities here. So what do I do when my life is in a big jumble all over the place? 
I started out on state one, went to state two, went to state three, etc. Well, there's two basic rules you follow, absent any exceptions. You're going to report all of your income to your home state, which is generally your legal state, driver's license, car registration, voter registration. You're also going to pay taxes to where you work. Now, the first response of this is usually, you mean I'm being taxed twice? No. Even though they both impose the tax, your home state is going to give you a credit for what you pay to the work state. So let's say I worked in a state that had a 5% rate and I worked in a state with a 3% rate, I'm missing two there. So home state's going to charge you 2% more. Now I'm using very simple math here, obviously not actual numbers. But when you work in a higher tax, when you live in a higher tax state, work in a lower tax state, there's a gap there that you have to make up. Either when you file the return or some agencies will withhold for not only work, which is their first obligation, but they'll also do courtesy withholding for you to fill in the gap for home. Now, just like anything in this world, there are exceptions to the rule and there are reciprocity agreements between border states and even some states that are sort of orphaned from each other. And then there are some funny little agreements like California, Arizona, Oregon, Indiana, and Virginia that have us little five state compact. But the primary way in which this is handled is home state taxes all, work state taxes it, then you get a credit. So if you work in a state with a higher rate than home, it's just a wash. You still have to report it, but that credit's going to wipe out whatever tax you otherwise would have to pay. And I already touched on this. Agency obligations, their primary uh, obligation is to the work state. They do not have to withhold for the home state. And there are some that don't and they have good reasons for it. I wish all could double withhold, but it's not going to work across the board like that. And this is important licensing. If I have a compact license in Virginia, I got to file as a resident in Virginia. Otherwise, I'm going to potentially invalidate my license because they'll find that and then ask for a return. Uh, like I said, the traveler's obligation is you file in all the states, sometimes municipalities, especially for those of you who live in PA and Ohio, and you want to file as a non-resident in the states that work. This is where some of the chain preparation firms can actually do you wrong. They have a cookie cutter sort of analysis of residency. I see this a lot, and I've even had preparers that I hired from the chains, and they see that you were there 91 days, which is a typical 13-week contract. And they go look at that state's manual, and they say, 90 days, you're a resident. They file you as a part-year resident. And you don't do that, because even though a state might say, oh, 90 days, 60 days, there's also a law behind that for sojourners and people that are only temporary or transitory. That's the big words they use. 
in that state. And then also on the multi-state side, most preparers only deal with their state and maybe the border states as well. Now, this here touches on the question about uh, the Canadian side. But yes. let me address this. Territor territories, the most common are Guam and the Virgin Islands. They are actually treated as foreign countries for tax purposes. Um, because they're like with the Virgin Islands, you have to file two federal tax returns and then do an allocation of the tax. Uh, Guam is a little easier, but a lot of agencies that go staffing Guam, they either can withhold for the mainland or withhold for Guam. And it gets real confusing there. When you go to the territory, you may think, well, it's a US territory, but for tax purposes, it's treated as a foreign country. Which brings us to the Canadian, and we do Canadian cross-border work. Uh, and the whole multi-state concept is very similar. If you are living and maintaining your home in Canada and you work in the U.S., Canada Revenue and your province are going to tax everything you earn, but they're going to give you a credit for what you pay to the IRS, the state, Social Security, and Medicare. The problem of Canadian travelers is generally the Canadian tax is higher by anywhere from 1% to 5%, depending on the province that you're from. But it's the same concept. You just now have to file in two countries, and for the U.S. side, states as you work in them as well. Um, I'm going to swing back. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, no, Joseph, the, uh, so uh, what I wanted to do, uh, this is great. We're getting some great questions. And I know, just so everybody will know, we are going to save some time at the end for a bit of a bit of QA. Um, we're at about the halfway mark during uh, during our presentation, so I thought this might be a time a good time to interject a couple of questions that have, that have come in relative to some of those previous topics. So Gabe asks, uh, in regard to in regards to using your tax home, and you've met all the requirements, are you claiming your home on an itemized deduction? How are we getting credit for our home? So that's a question from Gabe going back uh, a minute or two ago on the on the tax home. Mm -hmm. Uh, itemized deductions really doesn't apply to this as that term presents. Itemized deductions is a, a cumulative amount of state and local income taxes, mortgage interest, charity that you use at the federal level and states to a certain extent that go against your uh, taxable income. This is a separate form. When you're dealing with other state credits, all the states have a separate forms for this. And generally you have to fill one out for each state that you worked in. Um, and it's a, very, it's a very particular form trying to determine, well, in-state to out-of-state income. And you have to file the other state return before you can even do that form on your home state return. Okay. Uh, Deborah, Deborah asks another question about uh, the U.S. Canada taxes. Deborah says, for Canadians that spend less than 183 days in the U.S. working, does that make us residents for tax purposes, even though we maintain a home in Canada and we're duplicating the expenses? Uh, treaty? Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. She, she's greater than 183 days. 
Yeah. They spend greater than 183 days. Now, this is where treaty law becomes important. Uh, and generally, if you are, what treaties do is if both countries can claim the same income, the tax treaty determines who gets it or how it's split. So the typical Canadian traveler, or even a traveler from another country that's covered under a treaty, the treaty will say, well, the residency falls to where they maintain their permanent home. That's the first line of the test. So being in the U.S. more than 183 days, as long as you're maintaining your permanent home in Canada, you are still treated as a Canadian resident. Now, you may also have to file some disclosures for your foreign accounts with the U.S. Treasury because they don't follow that 183-day thing. That's called an FBAR. Okay. Um, We're going to, Gabe just uh, asked an additional question or a clarifier. Gabe says, to clarify, we don't have a state income tax in Washington State, and I've only worked in Washington State. So only file federal taxes? Correct. And that I'll sort of jump add to that. <laughs> it, it's almost humorous sometimes. We got a lot of clients from Texas that call us and gets upset when they work, say, in Oklahoma or Oregon or wherever, because they think they're exempt mm -hmm. from paying any other state taxes. And that's not how it works. If you have your feet there and you're working there, you're subject to it. But yeah, if you <clears throat> and I have clients that refuse to work in states with a tax. They may live in Washington, but they're only going to go to Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Alaska, and all the other states that are like that. Interesting. Well, what I'm going to do, so Joseph, I'll let you uh, continue here. So great uh, responses to those questions. Great questions. So we thank Deborah and Gabe uh, uh, and Chelsea for those questions. We've got some others. Maybe what we'll do is continue. And then towards the end, when we have a Q&A session, we'll address the other chat questions that come in. Sure. And this is the last section of it. And again, we're doing a bird's eye view here. Uh, there's a lot of information that you can get on our website. We even have a university uh, subscription thing with all of our educational uh, videos and uh, uh, writings that people can avail themselves And your, your website is easy to remember. It's traveltax.com. So if you mm -hmm. want to find out more about Joseph, his services, his organization, uh, easy one to remember, traveltax.com. Mm -hmm. So we'll finish out here of what are per diems. Well, per diems are that money I get for lodging meals. Yes, that is. But what, what really goes on in the background? Uh, and as we've already mentioned, there are per diems, allowances, stipends, subsidy, company-provided housing. Any part of this non-taxable compensation is a reimbursement. And again, it's not income. Uh, they are expense offsets. So I'm going back to where we started with this presentation because this is where it all ties in. Almost everything that we do as travelers are touched by the whole concept of reimbursements. Now, when we're talking about per diems, most people that are traveling are always told, go to the GSA website. What is the GSA website? It's the General Services Administration site, and it publishes the W-2s, I mean, not W-2s, the per diems for a given area. So this is simple, yeah, it's old, dated, but it has the same schematic. For Nebraska, it divides it between Omaha 
and everywhere else. So all of the per diem charts are going to show particular areas where the cost of living might be higher, and then the standard amount for the rest of the state, or actually the rest of the country. So in this case, for the period between October 2020 and September 2021, the per diem for the area, if you stayed in Omaha, is $110 a night for your lodging. And then there's a separate section on there for meals. And in that case, if you were in Omaha area, it would be 61 a day. And it even breaks it down between lunch and dinner and breakfast uh, to give you an idea what your breakfast cost. So how does this come into what we do? Well, in the old days when companies had traveling professionals and think salesmen, they go out on a Monday and, and, you know, when you show up at an airport Monday, look at all those people that are checking in. I guarantee you about 15, 20% of them didn't know where they were going until Saturday because they're sales related or service related and they just show up at the airport Monday, here's my ticket, I go. So when they're traveling, they got all that lodging expense, meal expense, transportation expense, all of the stuff that in the old days when it wasn't electronic, they would come back with wads of paper and take it to some, some really perturbed human resources uh, employee that had to do this week after week after week. So along the way, we came up with this concept of per diem. So let's simplify this. Instead of you coming back with all these receipts for lodging and meals, let's standardize a rate. We'll just give you this and call it a day and make a receipt substitute out of it. And that's exactly what per diems are. So if you have cleared the tax home hurdle, when you go out and travel, the agency can just say, okay, here's what it says on the per diem tables. We can give you up to that amount without demanding receipts from you. Now, sometimes they will ask for receipts just to validate their compliance procedures like an audit. But generally, you've got a per diem, that is your receipt, which really leads you to one important aspect of what we're doing. How do you make money in this industry? You take those tax-free per diems and you spend less. If you, take, if you get an apartment for three months and you're spending $110 a day times 91 days, that might be quite expensive because there are other less expensive things to do. If you actually spend $70, $60 a day for food, not times 91 days, well, maybe time to go on a diet or whatever. But the whole point of this is <clears throat> you don't have to spend the whole amount. It does not change its taxability. What changes whether it's taxable or not is your tax home status. So, you go out there and you get this lodging meal requirement, I mean, uh, allowance, spend less. And of course, you want to eat cheap, but eat healthy. Have you ever seen the fat content of ramen noodles? <laughs> After I had my heart attack, I started becoming a label watcher and I loved ramen noodles. I don't eat them anymore. And of course, <clears throat> you do want to eat healthy. This is how I sent my kids to school on their birthday. 
<laughs> Mountain Dew and donuts, and I apologize to the teachers ahead of time, of course. Uh, but per diems are receipt substitutes and their daily rates. They are not three-month rates, which means don't think of them as a standard or a minimum. They are simply the maximum. An agency does not have to pay you the maximum. They can pay you a lesser amount if they have deemed that to be reasonable for the area. <coughs> Excuse me. And honestly, some contracts don't support that unless you want minimum wage because you have a bill rate that gets broken down, which is pretty much one of the last slides I have up here. Your bill rate gets broken down into three components. <coughs> Excuse me. One of those is what the agency takes, and it typically is only 23%. It's not 50. The Trade Association has done a lot of research on this, and the average in which the agency takes is 20 to 25%. Right there in the middle is 23. And then they have to break it down into the taxable part, and then what are they gonna give you for reimbursements? The slides sort of jumble because of reformatting. But there's a tug of war there, because if I give you more taxable, it's going to come out of one of those other two categories. And there's no magic subsidies out there. The federal government isn't giving the agencies any more money. This is just simply a business transaction. Unfortunately, staffing is an inventory game. And if you have this in your mind, it sort of gives you, it can, can empower you in a lot of ways. Because an agency might have 10 slots to fill in the same hospital, but each of them have a different bill rate. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of dynamics that go on in the background here. And it also depends on whether you're a subcontracting agency, but it's all about inventory. Uh, <clears throat> and I think, yeah, this is the last slide here before we go back to questions. When is a per diem allowance stipend, all the rest of it, lodging meals taxable? Well, the big one is, is if you don't have a valid tax residence, which we already covered. If you don't have a valid tax residence, per diems and stipends are taxable. And then you also have the other more common reason that they're not when you are only staying in a hotel a couple of nights a week and you do not have lodging expenses for all seven days of what you receive per diem. If that is your case, you're driving 200 miles, staying in a hotel three nights a week, drive home and sleep in your own bed four nights a week, you got four sevenths of your per diem as taxable. Now, if you keep in an apartment at the assignment, you got seven day a week expenses there or extended stay or whatever it might mm -hmm. be. The meals, though, become four-sevenths taxable, which you can soak up in the tax return of some other expenses. But the lodging is the biggie there. So that's when per diems can become taxable. And then, of course, some hospitals have internal contracts, and they don't even get into this. They just pay an all-taxable rate, but it's still considered a temporary assignment. And the last slide is just where you can come and get some information on our uh, website, which we've already talked about. 
and info at traveltax.com. We even have a very specific thing called a tax home consult. You ever go to like Firestone, they'll say, well, we'll give you a 30 point inspection of your car. We have something similar to that. We'll do like 25 point inspection of your tax home. Make sure you qualify and then look at all these other angles that you can take. So that's the, that's what I have on the presentation. I think it looks like we have some. Yeah, no, Joseph, fantastic information. Uh, for those that are uh, joining us too, we're going to make this uh, presentation available on the gypsynurse.com. And I believe Joseph, you're going to be making it available on your site, traveltax.com as well. Um, you know, there's just, there's so much to unpack here and I know we're only scratching the surface. Um, as I've said, this is a huge topic within our healthcare traveler community. I know Joseph, you've been doing this for many, many years. Um, I don't know how you do it because it's very complicated, <laughs> not something that, that, that I could even approach, you know, getting, getting my arms around. Um, but, uh, obviously, uh, our partnership with you on the gypsynurse.com for this sort of information is great. And you're always a featured speaker at, at TravCon and one of the, one of the, uh, one of the originals at TravCon, but we've got a number of questions to cover in our remaining 10 minutes here. So let me see if I can pull some of those up, Joseph. Um, so we have a, uh, and we'll have to kind of do these rapid fire here, but we have a question from Donna which is if you're a new traveler, where uh, where is your tax home as you start? If you're a new traveler, where is your tax home as you start? And there's a couple of different paths you take with this, but generally as a new traveler, your tax home starting point is where you have been working. You have a permanent, most travelers have a permanent job and they hit the road. Or if you're into therapy professions, occupational, physical, you have already started working or you've been going to school all those years and your very first job is a travel job because that, that's a different kind of environment than being a bedside nurse. Uh, so generally it's where you have been working. One of the difficult things we have is when somebody lives and works in one place then tries to move 600 miles away and say that's their tax home without any kind of income history there, uh, we try to encourage them to get some income there. Uh, if you have been in school three years, but you've been living at another location, generally when you're in school, you're a non-resident of that area. So it defaults back to where you were before. Uh, everybody's circumstance is different. They gotta be very careful when I answer, answer this. It's very broad and general. And then if you're military, it's even more complicated uh, as well, too. Uh, and I'm just going to answer that one above it uh, from Philomena. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is a geographical area yeah. within the same state? It's not the same state. Let's say you live on the border. You can commute across border. Uh, just imagine people who live in D.C. They can commute to Maryland, Virginia, and I lived outside of the nation's capital, and there were commuters from Delaware uh, on a daily basis. The general answer to that is it's commutable. Now, the big question that really comes in is, okay, I got assignment A, assignment B, are they still in the same area? I look at that as if you can live in the middle and go to both, it's still the same area. Uh, because you want to be careful <clears throat> of orbiting. We have a phrase in our office, oh, another orbit nurse. 
<laughs> be a travel nurse, not an orbit nurse. Go out to see the place. <laughs> Got it. Here's a question that came in. Uh, obviously, we've mentioned TravCon, and, and TravCon is part of the Gypsy Nurse family. Uh, so we have a question coming from our uh, Travelers Conference moderators that actually came from the Travel Nurse Network, uh, the Gypsy Nurse Network on Facebook. Question is, if my permanent home is in Florida and I have a full-time job and rent a place in Georgia, do I have to declare Georgia my tax home and switch my license? They are both compact states. Well, I'm going to assume that they're not commutable. Because if you just live on one side of Georgia and you work, I mean, Florida and you work on the other side of Georgia, that tax home doesn't really change. It's a commutable area. But let's say you live down in St. Petersburg and you drive up to Georgia and you work your three days and go home. Your starting place for Georgia, as a, your starting place is that city area of Georgia for your tax residence. Uh, and then how are you, they're both compact states, but you can only have one resident state. Uh, so if there's, and I'm pretty sure it is, Florida is a compact state now. If you're living in Florida and you have a compact license, you can work in Georgia easily. But if now you're going to move to Georgia and travel from Georgia, yeah, you're going to be moving your permanent residence ties there as well. Uh, it all depends on where you shift your base. Uh, so, so there's a couple of variables there. Uh, okay. And uh, we have a question from Ashley. Ashley asks, can you explain what wage recharacterization is? This phrase is thrown around a lot, and I can't find a concrete definition of it anywhere. Wage recharacterization. Uh, uh, that is a deep subject. <laughs> another uh, another uh, another session with us, Joseph, perhaps. Well, it can be done, and okay. this has various characteristics. Uh, and if Ashley wants to see a definition, I would point her to Revenue Ruling 2012-25. And it is actually on my blog in the references and citations section. And if you go there, there might be some broken links because we moved our website to another platform, but you can even look that up. It's the only time a travel nurse company has ever been explicitly mentioned. Okay. What, what is the name of the site again? And perhaps uh, Rachel it's, behind the scenes might be able to throw it into the chat. It's the actual citation is Revenue Ruling 2012-25. Uh, <clears throat> that is an IRS revenue okay. ruling. And typically if you see one of those, it's coming out of their audit intelligence. And back in the early two, 2010s, we had a ton of audits in our industry. Revenue ruling 20-25? 2012, uh, like the year, dash 25. Revenue ruling 2012-25. So she could Google that. Okay, great. Uh, here's another one from Farah. Farah says, um, what, I would assume this, she means if, what if you and your husband will be doing travel assignments? Can you both have per diem? Yes, you can. Now, what you can't do is if one spouse gets provided housing, 
by the agency. In other words, they're paying the landlord, landlady, land people, whatever, directly okay. for those accommodations, and the other one gets a per diem. As long as both of them get a per diem, they're splitting those expenses equally, and they both qualify. That is an incredible way to travel. Um, or let me wait, throw another associated okay. travelers is another word we use in the industry. In other words, you have a roommate and you're both okay. Splitting. So you could have a roommate or a spouse. You're both considered mm -hmm. associated travelers. Interesting. <clears throat> Interesting. Okay. Not, not an affectionate term, I guess. People, <laughs> not something they'll be referencing on Valentine's day, purely for tax purposes. Right? Yeah. All right. Uh, Marvin, Marvin says, if you take more than 30 days off between assignments, can you claim unemployment in your home state? And what are the implications of that on the yearly tax return? Boy, there's no easy questions here, Joseph. Huh? There's nothing, no uh, softball questions for you, huh? Well, that's, that's cool. Very <laughs> well. Uh, this is prime. Well, let, let me go two directions with this. The question is about unemployment. Generally, no, because you got you got you already have most of the time you've already signed a new employment agreement, so you already have a job. Uh, now, of course, unemployment's a state creature, mm -hmm. so the rules may be different, but you're going to be sort of required to go looking for work, and you already have work contract in hand. Now, the other thing that might be driving Marvin's question is back to the break and service rules. I've been in one place for a year. How long do I have to go away before I can come back and still get tax-free per diems? Well, the big umbrella here is that a tax home is your main place of work. So going away 30 days and coming back means you potentially have 24 out of 25 months working in the same area where you fit the definition pretty well. And there's unfortunately a lot of agencies that use 30 days as their break and service policy. When the IRS chief counsels advise seven to 12 months. So we tell our clients, don't be in the same place more than 12 out of 24 months. So you don't make more of your income in two years in the same area uh, <clears throat> to keep you temporary. That is very important. So that question might be driven from that. But 30 days actually under the regulations is not enough to create a separate period of employment. I see. Okay. We have time for one more question here. We're going to take Chelsea's question, which is, do you have to wait until you get your U.S. taxes back before filing with the CRA then? CRA is Canada Revenue. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to wait to get it back. You have to wait till it's processed and can prove it. Uh, and really, I should say yes to that question, but it's a little bit more broad. CRA, and like a lot of foreign governments, the U.S. doesn't do that uh, as much. But a foreign government's going to grant you a foreign tax credit. They won't prove that you've actually filed it. And that can either be in the form of the refund you received on your bank statement matching up with the tax return you said you filed. Or more importantly, CRA likes to see the IRS account transcript. And when we're doing cross-border returns, we handle gathering all of that information so we can send it on. Otherwise, you're just going to get a letter denying your credits or a $15,000 bill. Then you have to go back and resend it. And 
and risk the collections effort because it takes so long to process. Bad, bad stuff. We don't we don't want that. We've got. Well, I'll sneak in one more question here. We're at the top of the hour. Uh, I'm going to take. Um, I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to take Gabe's, I guess, because we have spent some time on Canada. Uh, Gabe says, "Can you quickly mention the paperwork I need?" for federal tax return for a tax home claiming you mentioned it before earlier in relation to state tax uh, well the agency is going to give you a tax residence statement and your circumstance should line up with that you're not going to be filing a return and saying i have a tax home you're going to make that claim we, we go by the honor system on our returns if the IRS wants to audit you, they can. And what they're going to look for, they're going to look for proof that you actually have been maintaining a dwelling, lease, whatever. This is why if you rent from your parents, they have to be treated like unrelated landlord, landlady. Uh, fair market rent, shared expenses, something that is objective and not, well, we just want you to stay with us. We'll charge you $100 a month. That's not going to fly. It's not a burden. So you got to be able to prove that you actually have a tax residence and then your expenses at the assignment, always keep your lease agreements. Uh, and, uh, you know, anything that shows that you were actually paying at that assignment area so you can prove the duplicated expenses. Well, Joseph, on that note, we are at the top of the hour. We're going to wrap it up. Um, just fabulous information as always. If anybody wants to learn more about Joseph or his expert services, you can go to traveltax.com. There is a phone number. There is an email address. Uh, just Joseph is a, is a legend in the uh, travel industry. I can tell you that having known him for a number of years and uh, you know, he's been a huge supporter of the Gypsy Nurse and TravCon. Joseph, can't wait to uh, see you again at, at uh, TravCon 24 coming up in September. Hard to believe we're already in late January here, and TravCon will be on before you know. TravCon will be up before you know it. But uh, you're always uh, standing room only sessions, and can't wait to have you back. Um, and I would love to do more of these sessions with you. I know this is a very, very busy time of year, but I'm hoping you'll come back with us on another Gypsy Nurse Live and uh, maybe over the next few months and do some additional uh, sessions on some specialty areas we didn't cover because it's obviously our audience just eats up this information. It's extremely important for them and uh, you're the man to, to speak to. So really can't thank you enough for, uh, for joining us today. Glad to be here. That's great. All right, maybe we'll bring Rachel back in to wrap it up for us. And again, I want to let everybody know that um, this uh, session uh, is being recorded and it will be available on our site as well as Joseph's site and our social media platforms as well. So if you didn't catch all of it, you're on a shift or whatever, we're going to have it for you. And we're definitely going to try and get Joseph back. Fantastic information. So Rachel, take it yes, from here. Please. Thank you so much. I know in our network group, like I said, people are asking questions every day. So keep on asking them, but ask Joe. Um, a disclaimer. Don't ask me. <laughs> disclaimer don't ask me or Rachel. We don't know. <laughs> not everybody is a tax expert. So that's the most important thing to remember is just spend the money. I know a lot of times in the network group, they're like, oh, it's so expensive. But you know what? It's worth it because you don't want to get the wrong advice or have to pay to a lot of money. So go to the expert. 
who is Joe. <laughs> so thank you again so much, Joe. Looking forward to having you on again and looking forward to seeing you at TravCon. And Steve, I see you all week. So I <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry about that, Rachel, but that's just part of our uh, part of our employment here at the gym yeah. nurse. Sorry to subject you to that. <laughs> so I, look, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow in our meeting. So that thank you everyone good. for watching and have a great week. Thanks everyone. Thank you.